this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Easter season, we've had Pentecost Sunday, and now we enter ordinary time. It never gets old to talk about this time of the year, because I find the, the trivia around it fascinating. I wonder how many of you know where we get the, the name ordinary time. If you read my email two weeks ago, you know where we get it. We get it because we name it the first Sunday after Pentecost, the 28th Sunday after Pentecost. We have this long stream of Sundays after Pentecost. First, second, the ordinal numbers. It's not ordinary because it's plain or not special or or, uh, less than those major feast seasons of Easter and Lent and Christmas Advent. It's ordinary just because of uh, the days. I love it because it's the season of the church. During uh, Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas, we especially focus on uh, the story of what Christ has done. In ordinary time, we focus on what Christ is doing through the church. This is our season. It's our time uh, to live into the call that God has put on us through Christ. And it has enabled us to do through the Holy Spirit. It's fitting that ordinary time begins on Trinity Sunday. When the fullness of God enables the fullness of his body, the body of Christ, to go and do what he has called us to go and do. Um, love that uh, the traditional text for this is this passage from Matthew, this one that Sarah read for us today. Uh, I took Matthew in seminary as my first inductive Bible study class, and I wrote uh, a rather lengthy paper on this, so I could spend all day talking about the various nuances of the Greek participle and how they relate to the second person plural imperative commands. And that warms my soul. But instead, I want to focus on uh, um, a few particular parts of this. I love that this is our uh, sending of the church story. Mark's gospel ends uh, really with no sending. Jesus is raised from the dead, the end. Uh, John's gospel ends with this expanded uh, breakfast story on the beach where he talks to Peter and the disciples, where he uh, talks to them about uh, Caring for the the sheep. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, tend my sheep. Luke cares so much about what happens after the resurrection that he writes a whole other book. We spend all of Acts talking about what happens post-resurrection. Matthew just gets right to it. Jesus appeared. Go and make disciples. This passage has uh, about a billion different ways we could go with it today. Uh, So I really want to take just walking straight through it and some of the things and then really focus on the very ending of this passage. I love that it starts with the 11 disciples going to Galilee. Our Pentecost text uh, begins with them replacing Judas with Matthias uh, and uh, kind of um, making things whole. Matthew's gospel doesn't deal with any of that. It just starts with the simple fact that there are 11 now and things aren't quite right. There should be 12. 
There should be the full group who has spent these years with Jesus and the ministry he's been doing, who've been encountering him and seeing God through him, encountering the Father through the Son. But instead we have the 11 who are now uh, meeting Jesus in Galilee. This is like going home. This is like if I went back to Greenville, North Carolina. This is the site of where everything happened. Galilee is where most of Jesus' ministry encountered. He would pop back into Jerusalem occasionally, but Galilee is their home base. So they leave. They leave their dead Lord and Savior and go back home. They go to the mountain, the mountain where they had been told to go. I'm fascinated by this idea that they meet Christ on a mountain here. They receive this new command on a mountain. Uh, we, we start getting law at Mount Sinai with Moses. We get uh, law revisited as Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount. And now we get this uh, great commandment, this great commission on this mountain. So Jesus meets this un, unfilled 11 back at their home place on a mountain and Matthew doesn't even edit it. When some saw him, they worshiped, but others doubted. Uh, Teddy Ray, our offerings pastor, has decided to completely rewrite this theology book he's been working on. He uh, has reframed the entire thing around this idea that our paradigm isn't uh, doubt and belief. It's doubt and worship. And I've been fascinated by, in this passage, these, these are the 11 these are the people who, if anybody was just going to say, you have to believe, even if you don't understand it, you have to believe. And they still didn't understand. They still had doubts. But Jesus still came to them. And despite their doubts and despite that, he sent them out. He says, I've received all authority on heaven and earth. All authority from heaven and earth has a claim that's not made out explicitly, but is there. If he has all authority, no one else has that authority. What he's getting ready to do comes from the very source of authority. God, God's self, speaking through Christ, gives them this power to go and do. And this is power over and against the power of Rome, over and against the power of the Sanhedrin, over and against the power of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is power from on high. And it's power that they're going to need. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This passage uh, gets boiled down pretty regularly to uh, go and evangelize folks, get them to accept Jesus uh, so they won't go to hell and move on and evangelize some other folks. There is so much more to this passage. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. This is not fast work. This is not street corner work. This is relational work. Uh, a book that the pastoral team has been pretty influenced by is called Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And it talks about how the church grew in the first 400 years. And it grew not through a master plan of evangelism, but through people encountering formed disciples and being uh, awestruck 
by how they lived and what they looked like and how they acted, wanting to know more about it and then sitting with them in this long path of discipleship. The early church didn't tell you to believe all this stuff and then get your life right. It said, hey, look, this is how we look and act. Now let's learn. It's been years teaching you what it meant to be a disciple. They'd journeyed together in this story over and over and over again, telling how Christ had changed everything. Whenever we uh, look back through church history and we see explosions in the life of the church and we see uh, great awakenings and movements of holiness, we find that people are deeply engaged in their faith. You don't find anywhere where people are at church one hour a week and doing nothing outside the church with a great awakening. People are drawing near to one another. They're leaning into the means of grace. They're uh, deeply invested in their own growth and holiness. The early church did that in community, and they did that for the long haul. There were a few people who were sent, you know, Paul was sent here, Barnabas was sent there, but most people sat with their home church, their house church, and invested for year after year. They practiced this uh, way of learning called catechesis, where you would learn the very beliefs we hold true, all while uh, working on your habits and behaviors. You'd move from uh, being compelled by the story to being one who uh, compels other people with your story. And this is the invitation from Jesus to the 11. Go and make disciples. Do the hard work. See, I've shown you what it looks like for three years. I didn't come and give you all this in two weeks and then send you on. I spent three years with you, pouring into you and modeling this. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, kind of bring them into the fold, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. This is not a new member guide that you hand uh, this newly baptized convert and say, well, here's the content of our beliefs. This is that bearing witness to the work that Christ has done in and you and demonstrating the fullness of Jesus' story. Jesus' story is so much more than Let's be saved to avoid the fiery pit of hell. Jesus' teaching is vast and complex. John says that uh, if we were to record everything that had happened, the books of the world could not contain it. As it is, the, um, the, the recounts that we have paint such a vast picture of what it means to follow Christ and to understand his teachings. Christ wasn't simply about end times, he was about present times. This morning's uh, lectionary psalm was Psalm 146, where it says, don't trust in leaders of the world, trust in Yahweh who sets the prisoner free, who releases captives, who provides food, who uh, clothes the naked. We see Jesus take this on as his mantle in Luke 4, that uh, I am here to proclaim release to the captives, recovering a sight of the line, set at liberty those who are oppressed, announce that the year of the Lord was at hand. And then he commissions the disciples to go and do the same. To go to the margins of the world and to do the hard work of disciple making. To go into your neighborhoods. Jesus was back home in Galilee doing much of this work. 
that through this relationship building, witnessed, uh, witnessing of God's power to make disciples, some of Jesus' greatest uh, demonstration of disciple making comes with his closest friends, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He didn't just say believe. He lives life with them and demonstrates what it means to live in this uh, bizarre relationship of humanity and God. He does the work of going out and healing and with his authority goes and tells us to heal. I believe we as Methodists uh, in our heritage can best embrace this great commission. Our, uh, our far evangelical brothers and sisters are really worried just about you saying you believe and avoiding heaven and hell. Our far mainline brothers and sisters are just worried about justice. We stand right in the middle with sola sanctus caritas, only holy love, that we believe these two go intimately together, that God cares about the, the eternity with us and cares about right now. It's not enough in God's sight for us to, uh, to dwell with him in new creation if we're thrown away on the curb today. And it's not enough for God that we have a full plate today but uh, have no sense what's gonna happen in the future. We stand in this great, this great third way this holy love that believes that we can be people of justice, of liberation, and people of orthodox belief who uh, name that the triune God is the God who saves, and the one who holds the whole world in his hands. We can be people who we can be people who name our creeds with full belief and yet declare that injustice cannot stand. I believe we stand in the line of the prophets who held that tension together of what it truly looks like to love God and love our neighbor. We are uniquely positioned to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that Jesus had shown Jesus then says, uh, and lo, I am with you always till the ends of the age. People who take seriously disciple-making work need to know that Jesus is with us to the ends of the age. For this is not easy work, and it's not work without risk. This is literally going and making disciples of the person who had just been killed for who he is. The history of the church is people needing to trust in God's abiding presence. From the martyrs to today, a uh, church that takes seriously this call looks differently and is risky. If we actually went and were the church that Christ is calling his disciples to be today, the world is going to be baffled by us. And we're going to need to trust that Christ is with us. I love that he promises to be with us to the end of the age because his story in Matthew starts with an angel appearing to Joseph saying, name him Jesus for uh, God saves and call him Emmanuel. 
God with us. Friends, uh, you heard Sarah's prayer, and if you've watched the news, you know we desperately need God with us. We need the fullness of our triune God being faithful to God's character to be the church these days. We need the Spirit filling us with that power to go and do. We need Christ interceding to the Father. We need the Father doing the work of holding all things in his hand. We need the fullness of the Godhead enabling us to be the fullness of the body of Christ. I want us to reclaim our heritage, friends. I want us to not settle for go and make disciples. I want us to be people who are so compelling, who look so different, that the world can't help but come and want to know. I want us to be people who do the long, hard work of journeying with those who are new to the story and telling them over and over about what Christ has done in and through us. Sandy Richter talks about this being uh, where we are part of God's rescue plan for humanity. I want to be part of that. And I think you do too. If you're watching this, you, you're, what, 12 weeks into isolation? You, you, uh, you still know that God has something to do for the church, that he's not done with us, and that the church matters if you're still watching this, you have uh, hung on when many have dropped off. Across the lands, we look at live stream numbers and see that they are down, that people who uh, weren't taking their discipleship seriously have stopped watching. If you're watching this, the Spirit of Christ is testifying to the Spirit in you that you are called to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching Drawing upon the very presence of Christ, the, the nearness with us. We need the church to be the church more than ever these days. When we faced injustice before, we could at least draw together in person and uh, sustain one another through uh, our, our communal experience. Can't do that right now. It's unsafe for us to bring 180 people in this room. We're going to have to draw deeply on what God is doing in our hearts and our spirits as he's making them new, as he's softening our hard hearts and giving us a new spirit that will enliven us for the ministry he's called us to. We need to draw deeply on the means of grace, on scripture reading and on prayer on worship and fasting and on the table. These ordinary ways that God channels his grace to us, these ordinary ways that he uh, fills us with grace that enables us to be a people of holy love. Maybe no place clearer than this table are we reminded that Christ is with us to the ends of the age. 
for this table, in some mysterious way, this Hawaiian bread and Welch's grape juice become the very body and blood of Christ. And we receive them and are filled in mighty ways. When we come as a people in need of that grace, when we come as a people in need of pardon,
Would you join us in our closing hymn number 569? We have a story to tell the nations. hear these words from Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and know that I am with you to the ends of the age. Friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.